I'm Jason Palmer, one of the hosts of The Intelligence, The Economist's daily current affairs podcast. The Economist's award-winning shows make sense of what matters, from our special series on China's president to our weekly podcasts on business, technology, and American politics. Our journalists provide fair, in-depth reporting on the events shaping the world. Search for Economist Podcasts Plus and sign up to our free one-month trial. It's time to say goodbye to old music and say hello to fast customer support with Service Cloud. With trusted AI and data working together, you can skip long wait times and deliver efficient, personalized service right away. All while keeping support costs low and more customers happy. Reimagine your customer support with the number one AI CRM for service. Learn what's possible at Salesforce.com/products/service. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Patty S. Grimm about women's fight for equity, parity, and inclusion. Patty Grimm, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. It's so great to be here. It's so great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today to have a nice conversation. We're going to be focusing on women's fight for equity, parity, and inclusion—an incredibly important topic. And we've been preparing for this episode for a while now, and it's really a pleasure to finally have a chance to、uh, sit down with you and have a really nice conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Patty's bio with everybody. Patty S. Grimm is a senior business leader with 25 years of experience working in male-dominated fields. She's a dynamic, energetic presenter and an empowerment expert for organizations, leaders, and women. Patty is an author, speaker, trainer, and podcast guest. Patty's presentations and interviews are empowering, educational, engaging, and fun. She's a sought-after author, speaker, trainer, and podcast guest whose energy and enthusiasm for empowering women and girls. Are contagious and ignite the passion to create, grow, and succeed. Her proven and practical approach can be applied by all women of all ages and stages of their career. She was a senior leader for several global Fortune 100 companies like Microsoft and Johnson and Johnson. Patty runs a training and consulting company focused on empowering women to be the best they can be in any endeavor they choose. Patty ran 1,000 miles in her high heels, trying to kick the glass, and shares her rock star to rock bottom backstory to help other women succeed. She was recognized by Executive Women's Association, Who's Who in Women's Leadership,、uh, Women of Influence. And the state of California, Patty is the author of "Quiet Women Never Changed History: Be Strong, Stand Up, and Stand Out." Let's go kick some glass. 
I love the title of your book. I love everything uh, that you're about and that you do with your work. Uh, thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Is there anything else you would like to share uh, by way of background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? Well, you know, given where we are today, it's, it's unbelievable that women have been fi fighting for equity, parity, inclusion for over 100 years since white women got the right to vote. Um, and yet we're still fighting that glass ceiling. And sometimes when I present, people will say, do we really see still, you know, break that glass ceiling? My answer is absolutely yes. And I hope this doesn't offend people, but I decided I'm going to change my job title because it's a lot shorter to be, I'm just a badass glass kicker. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, and you know what, if people are offended by that, then maybe they need to, uh, chill out a little bit, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, so. Let's start, I, I imagine as we go throughout our conversation, you'll weave in some stories and experiences from your, your tremendous career and, and the work experience you've had. But let's start with some of the scary stats on the current state of women's fight for equity, parity, and inclusion. Like you said, I think a lot of people think, oh, we're kind of past that. Like that, that was an issue 30 years ago, but things are better today. No. But they're not better today, are they? Or no. at least not much better today. No, women's pay has gone up 1% in the last decade. So women are still underpaid, underserved, and underrepresented. So Caucasian women make about 81 cents on a dollar as compared to a man, compared to a man who makes a dollar for the same job. Women of color, it can be as low as 56 cents for Hispanic women, Asian women, and Black women, depending on that. So it kind of ranges between 56 and 81 cents on a dollar. We're still underpaid. We're still underserved when it comes to there's not enough women at senior level positions in organizations and in government. Uh, we're underrepresented in healthcare. So majority of the research that done is, is done on cancer is done majority on men. And they're not really looking into the impact of cancer, some of these diseases might have on a women that are very different than the impact on men. Here's the one that really surprised me. There's still 13 states in the US who have now not passed the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA from the 1990s. Yeah, I'm in that one of them. <laughs> my, yes, you are. That blew my mind. And there are some states that are actually trying to fight it. And that act alone is going to guarantee women the right to equal pay for the same job. I know at one time I was working in banking early in my career, and I was running a very large retail consumer branch where you would go in and do your banking. And I had the biggest staff, I had the biggest budget, I had the highest customer satisfaction, the highest employee satisfaction. And I found out my male counterpart, who ran a much smaller branch than I did, was making $20,000 more than me. So when I went to my district manager and said, I want equal pay, what is this all about? He goes, well, he's a man and has a family to support. And I looked at him and said, do you know that I'm the income earner in my family because my husband's getting his master's degree in public administration? So he works part time. I'm the income earner. And I ended up getting the raise, but I mean, it was just this unbelievable that it still happens today. Yeah, it, it is unbelievable. And it's so frustrating. I hope anyone listening to that story, yeah, I hope you cringe <laughs> and, and, and you just have this guttural reaction, you know, this, this gut reaction, negative reaction to that, because I hear it often too. And it's seen as a justification. Well, he's the man, he's the breadwinner for the family. Why does that Not matter? Not anymore. First, First of all, it's not a particularly accurate portrayal in this day and age, you know, of a single male breadwinner for a home. You know, most are dual career families. Absolutely. Um, many, many uh, families 
the the woman makes much more than the man uh there are there are stay-at-home dads like it's so antiquated to think that that's the way families are set up today um and it's it's quite offensive to to suggest that men deserve to be paid more than women just because they're the ones that have the rightful place as the breadwinner in the family right yeah. So when I was at Microsoft, I was always in international roles. In fact, I even moved to Singapore for three years and ran the customer partner experience team for all of Asia Pacific. And my husband gave up his job as a high school football coach. I earned more than he did. He left the U.S., had, didn't even have a passport, had never been to Singapore until the house hunting trip and went with me on this adventure to live in Singapore and travel all of Asia for three years, which was incredible. And there was a time when my son was young and I was traveling again that he was Mr. Mom for three years. He quit his corporate job, CFO for a big hotel chain, and became Mr. Mom for five years so that I could travel and we, he did, my son would have a stable environment with a stay-at-home parent. So it is an old antiquated system where we just need to get over it. I mean, literally get over it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do hear less and less of that argument now than I did even a decade ago. So I'm grateful for that. But there's still plenty of people uh, who feel, you know, like that's a, a completely valid uh, way to, to uh, pay differently. And, it, and it's, it's just not, again, as, as listeners have heard on this podcast many, many times, you, you pay people fairly for the work that they do, pe- treat people with dignity and respect, regardless of you know, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, whatever, right? We're, we're fighting for inclusion, equity, belonging within organizations, full stop, right? We, you know, yeah. no, qual- no qualifiers, <laughs> you, you know, no, make exceptions. Buts, no, 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 that stuff. I mean, so I've actually started writing the second book and the first, the second book originally was going to be called When She Rises, He Does Not Fall, How to Create Inclusive Workplaces mm-hmm. for All. But as I started interviewing people, like my first book, I interviewed 3,200 people around the world about what makes a great woman leader. As I started interviewing people and doing the research for the second book, every time I would say something like, women are underpaid, underserved, and underrepresented, and people of color. We don't have enough people in diverse people in leadership, women in diverse in leadership positions, and people of color. And so the book is now expanded. The current working title is Breakthrough Performance, How to Create Innovative, Inclusive Workplaces for All. And I'm interviewing senior executives from top companies in the world that are best places to work. And the word that keeps coming up around women and people of color or different backgrounds or research or whatever is access, access, access to education, access to job opportunities, access to mentoring, access to funding. If you run your own company, it's much harder for a woman to get capital funding to run a business than it is for a man. So that's another one of those stats. Um, So it's really about giving them access to the opportunities and allow them to take those opportunities and that access you've granted them and and chart their own path and go their own way, right? You can't control what somebody's going to do with the access you give them, but you can give them access to have the opportunity to make it their own and become successful in whatever. Like I say, I'm about empowering women and girls to be the best they can be in any endeavor they choose, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad you bring up uh, people of color, uh, because clearly, there's inequities there as well. And when you talk about women of color in the workplace, uh, it's a double whammy that they, mm-hmm. they, they really get hit hard. You, you shared one stat earlier in terms of pay, the pay gap for women of color 
uh, at work in comparison to men. What are some of the other things that you see in your research uh, in relation to women's lack of parity in business for people of color? So I'm a research geek. No apologies. I'm a research geek. And a recent IBM study came out that showed that there are very, very few companies, like in the single, like 10, 15% of companies that are doing women's empowerment or equity, equity, parity, and inclusion well. And those companies that do it well make it part of their core business initiatives. They hold people accountable for those things. They make sure they track the right metrics. Most of them aren't doing the right thing. And again, I hope this doesn't offend people, but a lot of companies are putting lipstick on a pig, right? They're, they're forming these employee resource groups for women and people of color. There we go again. They're forming these employee resource groups for women. They'll give them a few dollars to have some luncheons and some lunch and learns and maybe some webinars and some workshops, but it's not part of their culture. It's, it, they, they haven't looked at their job applications or their job descriptions, right? You need, we need to literally, most of our HR processes, we should throw the baby out with bathwater because you know, we need to look at those job descriptions and say, are they more geared to a male, dominant, aggressive, competitive, you know, you read most job descriptions. We're a fast paced company that kicks, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're very male dominated. So look at the job descriptions, look at the hiring practices, look at your promotion practices, your performance review systems, and really reinvent those in order to survive in today's environment because the workforce and your customer base is diverse. If you only have all males who went to the same university and the all, any, any, all women who went to the same university in your company, sameness is a kiss of death because you're gonna make business decisions that aren't well-rounded. The stats show that when you have women, of, women and diversity in your organization, you have higher profitability. You have higher employee engagement, you have higher customer satisfaction, and you have higher revenues because your organization is more balanced. And it's not just diversity of color or race or gender, it's diversity of thought. If you all went to, um, you know, I've lived in California for a lot of my life, Washington, Singapore, now we're north of Dallas. And if everybody in your organization went to USC and you went to UCLA or Harvard, you're going to have one way of thinking and making decisions. You're going to have one business model where if you have a very diverse group, including women, you have a very diverse group and you have better decision making. Yeah, so literally the sameness is the kiss of death. There's no doubt about it. The research is super clear on this, uh, yet it's still a problem and it persists. And, and I think there's a lot of structural reasons for that. So even when you get people, you know, in seminars, in, in meetings, talking about this, and they nod their heads that they say, yeah, that's a problem. Yes, we need to have equality uh, and parity. And so I, I, maybe they just feel like they have to say that. But you know, I think there's a general consensus for most people that yes, it's important, yet the problem persists. And so we have to address the systemic issues involved. And you identified several issues within organizations, starting from just how you recruit applicants in the first place. Like what yep. channels do you go to? How do what you, universities do you go to? Exactly. How do you design the job posting? <laughs> what kind of verbiage is used in the job posting? Uh, is it gender neutral verbiage, for example? Uh, how do you go through the hiring process? Once you get people on board, what kind of job lanes are there? Uh, the traditional kind of job lanes were established for men. And mm -hmm. if, if a woman decides that she wants to pause her career for a couple of years and have a child, for example, 
Does should that disqual should that disqualify her from executive roles in business for the rest of her career because she hit the pause button for a little bit of time? Um, that's it's a silly notion, and the same thing wouldn't really apply to a man. And so, you know, there's there's things like that that we need to address. And so, when you say we need to completely start over, uh, I, I think you're largely correct. Uh, yeah. We we need to we need to really address the systemic issues. And if we don't, then all we're doing is playing whack a mole, and we're just yeah, we're <laughs> spin we're spinning our wheels, and we're just we're we're, we're uh, addressing system the symptoms of the core underlying issue, but we're not addressing the underlying issue at all. I mean, I remember in the 90s doing diversity workshops, right? And doing all these workshops and getting people together to talk about how people feel and, the, you know, da, da, da. And here we are 10, 20 years later doing the same thing again. And so I agree. It's just like whack-a-mole. It's just going to keep coming up if we don't do something to address it. And there's, there's some things people could do, right? So one thing is in the early screening of the interview process, do you have a blind applicant review where you don't know the race or the sex of the person until you actually get into an interview process and they've at least gotten through the first level for women and this and, and should I can, should I add there's software to help you do this right yeah, yeah so so you can you can neutralize application materials so that doesn't yeah. even, and, and we know there's lots of research on this we know that if you have a name that looks like it's female or you have a name that looks like you're African-American yep. or, or whatever that it it will hurt you in the application process you. Just through the implicit biases that people have. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, the second real practical thing you can do is so I've been using this term called a returnship. Now, this could be for a woman or maybe a man who's had an elderly parent. He took a year or two off to take care of his elderly parent who has dementia or Alzheimer's or some other horrible disease. It's called a returnship. So if you're you're at a certain level and you leave the organization for whatever reason, for six months, a year or more, your skills are out of date. You're probably out of date with the internal workings of the company. So why not offer a returnship? like an internship, but for senior business people that when they come back to the company, they have between say 30, 60, 90 days to come back in, get reoriented to the company. You don't give them goals or access to customers face-to-face until they can get reoriented to the company until either they say, I'm ready, 
or maybe the max time is, you know, 90 days. If you're not ready by 90 days, you know, we'll find someplace else for you, whatever it happens to be. But could we create this returnship in companies that you could have people come back and value all their skills, but give them 30 days, 60 days, 90 days to just get back into the swing of things. If you haven't worked for, look, those of us have been virtual for a year, 18 months. The first time we get together in the office, it's going to feel really weird. But imagine you've been gone for a year and everybody else has been working all that time and you try and get back into that group. You're the outsider. Yeah, absolutely the outsider. You need to get reoriented uh, and and reintegrated into the company. So that's a great idea. Uh, I, I think it's a couple, the, the two specific examples that you gave are, are great, very specific uh, approaches that we can start taking right away that can make a pretty darn big difference uh, yeah. almost immediately. Uh, I think another thing that we need to focus on is definitions. So there, there is a difference between when we talk about fairness versus equity versus equality. Uh, yep. can, can you get into that a little bit for us? What, what's the difference between those terms? Because they often get used interchangeably. And there is over, some overlap, I suppose. You can think of it as a Venn diagram, perhaps. But, but yeah. there, there are distinct features of each. Yeah, and I'll give you a very specific example, too. So all the neuroscience research, neuroscience leadership research is amazing. And one of the things they talk about a lot is the difference between sameness and fairness, right? I can't be the same as someone else because I haven't lived, I could walk in their shoes for a couple of days, but I haven't lived their life. I don't understand all their challenges, the level they have. And I'll give you a very specific example. I have an amazing woman friend named Sherelle. She is a beautiful inside and out woman leader, C-level at a major uh, international accounting firm, partner level, super high level woman, lives in Orange County, California. Nothing against Orange County because I've lived there for many years. So she's a very, it's very rare to, and she's six feet tall and striking, right? So it's very rare to see her in that environment or even in her workplace. When all the Black Lives Matter stuff was happening, Sherelle also has three of the most gorgeous sons. Uh, one is married, two are still in college. And I was talking to her because we were talking about what, you know, we're talking about the whole the Black Lives Matters and the young African-American men being killed and, and the violence that was happening and things. And so I said, I can never truly understand your experience. I can never be the same as you, right? I can understand what it feels like to be the mother of a teenage boy or a college age boy who goes off to a party one night in a certain part of town and be concerned he's going to get picked up for drunk driving or he's going to get in an accident or something's going to happen to him. I can't understand and be the same as Sherelle and understand the pain of being an African-American woman with a beautiful son and being pulled over and shot or harassed by the police. I simply cannot be the same, but I can also seek fairness and treatment for how she is treated, how her children are treated, and, and focus on the quality of life and not trying to be the same. Now, I can't live in her shoes. I literally cried for hours when that was going on and we had an amazing conversation, but I can't be the same as her. But I can hope we get fairness and equity and quality for her children and for herself. So I think that's one that it's, hit. I'll get, I'll get emotional. It's, it's a heartbreaking yeah. example, right? It, it, I, um, and you might you might have a Hispanic friend, an Asian friend. So for my new book, which I'll talk, um, 
I, I was interviewing one of the senior leaders I worked with at Microsoft in Asia. He was our regional vice president. He's left Microsoft, worked at Apple, several of the companies. And I was interviewing him for my second book. He's Asian, Japanese, raised in Brazil. So when they told us we had a new country, man a new country manager taking over as regional vice president of Asia Pacific region from Brazil, we assumed he was going to be Hispanic. Well, he's Japanese. He looks Japanese. And he talks about the bamboo ceiling of being an Asian male or woman in an environment where their values sometimes hold them back, um, their respect for authority, they're not speaking up when something goes wrong, um, how that's holding them back and how they're, despite what people think that there's a lot of very successful Asian people in senior level position, there's not. You have Satya, the CEO of Microsoft from India. You have a few handful of people, but you really don't have that on an equal level. And so it's just one of those interesting things of, you know, it's, it's, it, it, was, it became so clear in interviewing for the second book, and it's, it's about diversity, equity, inclusion for all. But I do have a couple special things for women uh, in terms of some things, the research from the book and the five practices I think would help women become more empowered, more confident, get rid of that label bossy, and just be bold woman leader. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And I think it's worth noting as well, like it, as dire as it's, as it appears right now, um, the state of parity and equity in the workplace for women, people of color, it's not great. The, the pandemic actually really set us back as well. Um, and there's, there's been a new research coming out over the, this past year that suggests that we're, we've really stepped back a generation in terms of where we were at and the progress we were making because so many women so many people of color were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic yep. uh, and had to make hard, the hard choices that ultimately are going to impact their career because you know their their kids are at home doing school and so they end up stepping away from work uh, yep. to help their children or or other household duties and stuff that that disproportionately you know negatively impacted women's careers and so this is more important than ever that we start to tackle the systemic issues involved uh, so that we can turn the tide, right? And start to move in the other direction rather than moving backwards like we have been this past year, we need to start moving forward and much more rapidly than we were in the past. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. More women were laid off significantly than men and more people of color, but more, more women were laid off than men during the pandemic. The other thing is the from 2020, the 2020 report that came out in in um, October, November, that was the combination of the Lean In organization and McKinsey did a study that said one in four women right now are considering leaving the workforce or downsizing their career because of COVID. So even if the husband is home being helpful, the mother, the wife is still taking the burden of the childcare. And there's the, there was the, a, a, an example people might relate to was there was a, a a video that went around for a while of a gentleman, a British gentleman interviewing for a job on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. And the little kid walks in, right? And yeah. the wife crawls in and pulls the baby out. And everybody goes, oh, isn't that cute? He's a great dad. So a woman's on a Zoom call and her kids come in. And some people think, I wonder how she's doing it all. I wonder how she's balancing the children and homeschooling and her job. So it's just the, the, the unconscious bias, which we could talk about for days, yeah. Um, the unconscious bias of there's just this different treatment. There's something called the double bind paradox. As women rise up, as men rise up the ranks, they gain respect and credibility. As women rise up the ranks, they lose credibility and respect to become suspect. Was mm -hmm. she the right person for the job? 
Yeah. So that's one of those systemic issues. Um, but yeah, definitely. I want to leave. Yeah, I want to give some time to talk, real quickly talk about the five things in my book about five ways to be an empowered woman leader, if we can do that quickly. Uh, yeah, and then and then we'll wrap up and close. And I know you're going to share with listeners how they can get uh, connected with you and with your book. Yep, yep. So the book is based on all my research. So number one is be is, is play to your strengths. Find jobs and career opportunities that fit your strengths. So you're not like the round peg in the square hole. So go take a disc profile, a strength finder questionnaire, an insights, any of those questionnaires, many of them are free um, to find out what your strengths are and then find career and job opportunities to fit your strengths. Number two is to stand up. In order to stand up, you need something to stand on. And I encourage women and men to write a personal leadership vision of the kind of leader you want to be. What you want people to say about you when you leave that department or company or when you move on to another, your legacy. I want you to actually craft that. And at the end, I'll give people my email and they can email me and I'll send them a guide of how to write their personal leadership vision. One quick way to do it is imagine you're going to be on your favorite show in five years, right? Mine would be the Ellen show. Yours could be something different. In five years, you're sitting on that show and you're surrounded by your friends and family, your coworkers and bosses and everybody you've ever worked for. And they're all talking about you as a leader. What are they saying? Right? She was a confident, assertive, passionate leader who made a difference. She was a strategic thinker. She was honest, had integrity. Write all those words down and then create them into a statement. My vision is she was a passionate and uh, compelling woman leader who's empowering people and making a difference in the world. That's my vision. And then make career and life decisions based on that decision. Number three, stand up, stand out, be visible, be valuable, be vocal. Now that you know your strengths and you know your vision, become valuable. Do the research, take free classes, get the certifications, take, take cross job assignments to become so valuable at your job, become a master. And then be more visible and be more vocal. Women, I want you to be willing to say, I did this. Not my team did this. If you're not comfortable doing that, say my team and I did this project. When someone compliments you about doing a great job, a great presentation, a great job, don't say, oh, I could have done better. Say, thank you, right? And be more visible. Put your hand up and ask questions. Sit at the table, right? So to me, there's all kinds of definitions of diversity, equity, inclusion. To me, diversity is being invited to the meeting. Equity is being given a seat at the table. Inclusion is giving a decision-making voice at the table. Right, yep. yep. Number four, quickly, is put yourself number one on your things to do list. You can't pull from an, pour from an empty teacup. So if you don't take care of yourself, your self-esteem, take breaks during your Zoom meetings, go outside, take a walk, hug the dogs, hug the kids, hug your husband or significant other. Go outside between Zoom meetings so you can regenerate yourself, but take put yourself number one on your things to do list. And the last one is pay it forward because we owe it to the next generation to leave this world a better place. I love it. I love it. Well, Patty, it has been a real pleasure uh, having this conversation with you today. And there's so much more we could dive into and get into much more details. And perhaps I could have you back so we could continue the conversation. Uh, before we close today, though, I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your book and your uh, consulting firm and anything that you can do to help them. Uh, and then give us a final word on the topic for yeah. today. So um, people want to email me 
I'm a very simple person. People want to email me to pattygrim at live.com. And that's P-A-T-T-I-E-G-R-I-M-M at L-I-V-E.com. I will send you a free PDF guide to write your personal vision about what is a vision, why do you need one, and how do you use one? Once you have your leadership vision, then make career and life decisions about, does this fit my career? Am I going in the right direction? And to keep you centered during these tough times when we're all being pulled in 100 directions. Um, I have a special offer on my book. It's usually $18.95 on Amazon. I'll do the banner thing, right? It's usually $18.95 on Amazon, but for podcast listeners, I have a special offer. You can get the book for $10. That includes free shipping and handling in the U.S. and $200 in free training bonuses, including five videos of me walking through each one of those five principles in detail. The book's full of exercises and activities like to figure out your personal style. All of that's available for you and um, get the book for $10. You can either email me or go to www.womenkickingglass.com forward slash book. So www.womenkickingglass.com forward slash book. And I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. And this is, this is when I'm usually in, I might now barefoot, of course, but this is, I'm usually presenting in these high heels and always wearing red because I'm kicking the glass ceiling. Um, my final thought, I guess, would be we can do this. We can do this. We can make the difference and leave the world a better place for the next, for the current generation and the next generation of women and men and everybody if we just simply work together and try and let go of those old biases and trying to live our lives as full as we can possibly be. I love it. I love ending on that positive note. Uh, I, I agree. We can do this. Uh, we have to work hard. Uh, we have to be committed, but we can do it. We can make a difference. We can improve parity and equity uh, for women and for people of color in the workplace. Uh, I think it's our the moral imperative that we need to do this. And I appreciate all the insights that you've provided for us today. Uh, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Patty, check out her book, find out more about her company and more about what she can do to help you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.